The views and opinions of the guests of Veterans Archives do not reflect the views and opinions of Veterans Archives, its subsidiaries, or its partners. Hello and welcome to Veterans Archives. This is a podcast where you can learn about our military history in the words and voices of the men and women who lived and created it. I'm your host, Bill Krieger, and let's listen to our next story. Today is Thursday, February 29th, 2024, and we are talking with Jenna Carlton, uh, who is a U.S. Navy veteran. Um, so, Jenna, we're going to start out super simple. When and where were you born? I was born in Iron Mountain, Michigan, um, in September 8th, 1994. Oh, awesome. So, from uh, from talking with you beforehand, right, uh, I know that you're from Wisconsin as well, so I guess we'll get into all of that. But what was it like g- growing up, Jenna, and how long did you live in Iron Mountain? Because I'm, you know, from Michigan myself, and that's yeah. that's way up there. You can't even use the hand to show where you're at. Nope. Yep. Um, so Wisconsin is right on the border of the UP, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and the town I grew up in was really small. I think there was 2,000 population. So the closest hospital was across the bridge in Iron Mountain. So I never lived there, but that's where I was born. And all my family, they were Upers, so all from the UP. Okay. So Wisconsin, Upper Peninsula, kind of the same. I think was people from Wisconsin think they should own the Upper Peninsula. Is that how that yeah, Is that the, how that goes? Yeah, there's an interesting history behind it. I don't remember, but if you ever have time, look it up because <laughs> it should be a part of Wisconsin. It touches Wisconsin. It doesn't even touch Lower Michigan. All right, probably won in some war or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? something with Canada. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so born in Michigan, lived in Wisconsin. Uh, what was it like uh, being a kid in Wisconsin? It was. It was great um, because it's such a rural area. We were we spent a lot of time outdoors, and we get a lot of snow in the winter. So I grew up snowmobiling, skiing, in gym class. We would go snowshoeing, sledding. It was a lot of fun. And I I grew up an only child, but there was a lot of kids in my neighborhood, and we would always be riding our bikes or jumping on my trampoline. My family we went camping a lot. We did we did a lot of stuff, and it was. A lot of outdoor stuff. <laughs> it sounds like it. So tell me a little bit about your parents then. What were they like? What were their names? Or what are their names? Because they're still around. Yes. yes. Um, so my mom's name is Zona mm-hmm. and my dad's name is Mike. And they met at their 40th class reunion. And they really? got Yes. And they got married two months later in Las Vegas. <laughs> so you were a late in life baby. Yeah, yeah, they were they were 38 when they met, and they weren't wasting any time. They got married and started trying for a baby, and I eventually came two years later. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Um, so we're either one. I don't want to dig into your family too. Were either one had either one of them been married before? I mean, yeah, my dad was married in his 20s for about nine months, okay. and um, my mom was never married. I know she had a lot of few like longer relationships, but no. And, and as you're getting up there, you know, especially my mom, she thought like maybe kids weren't in the cards for her. Mm -hmm. But so when she met my dad, I mean, they were just like love at first sight. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. And so they, um, got married. Gosh, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around having kids that, because I had all my kids fairly early in life. And so, um, that's, that's a big change, especially if you've been around um, for a while. So uh, what did your parents do for a living? 
My mom uh, was a teacher, and she still substitute teaches. And my dad worked at a paper mill, so he worked shift work a lot. Which mm-hmm. so I didn't see him um, growing up. You know, we would do our our trips together, but a lot of times it was just me and my mom because he worked at night or was sleeping during the day. Right. And uh, so, what grades did your mom teach? She taught kindergarten. They put her all over, but kindergarten, first grade, but and she was also an art teacher. So okay. that was a lot of fun. And then I went through a school that was kindergarten through 12th grade, all in one school. So everyone knew me as a teacher's daughter. Right. And you get a lot of pressure on you to be kind of well-behaved because your mom's right there. You know, your, te- your teachers are in the teacher lounge with your mom. They can go and tell on you. <laughs> yeah. How was that for you? Yeah, I, I felt like I had a lot of pressure on me to stay in line. And, and that was easy until I got to about um, 10th grade. <laughs> right, right. Because things change when you get older as a, as a approaching uh, your teen years. So, yeah, how did that work out for you? I mean, I, I can't imagine it's got to be similar to having a, a parent who's a minister or a parent who's a cop, right? A parent who's a teacher. That's got to be rough. Yes, and especially in a small town where everyone knows everything and, you know, when I was 16, I started partying, I started drinking, I started breaking all the rules and sneaking out. Uh, so me and my mom clashed a lot. <laughs> I, I put her through hell. Yep, that's pretty standard. Did she say something like, gosh, I hope you have kids like you when you get older? All the time. You get that curse, did you? She can't wait, especially now that I have girls. She's like, you're going to get payback. Right. Well, is she, is she going to be one of the kind of grandparents that's going to spoil the... the grandchildren she does spoil them she does but she's also very teacher-minded so she's always teaching them and she'll discipline them too she has oh. she's got no problem so i appreciate that well that's perfect <laughs> yes perfect. so it sounds like you had a pretty even though your mom was a teacher you had a pretty standard uh childhood and in, in school career what kinds of things did you like in school I really liked art. That was one of my things, and I loved writing. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've carried with me forever. I still love writing. And um, I loved doing theater. I loved sports. I played basketball track. I did some volleyball. Um, I did music, anything you could get into because I was an only child. My mom just wanted to keep me busy. So right. dance class, piano lessons, <laughs> um, catechism, you name it. I was in everything. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Is your is your husband an only child as well? No, he's oh, okay. got he's got what three brothers and two sisters. That must be a total culture shock for you then. It it is because I don't get the competitiveness a uh-huh. lot because um, <laughs> you didn't have to, right? <laughs> there was no one to compete with in your house, right? There wasn't. You know, I would compete with my friends and that, right. but and then kind of just the dynamic with siblings and parents and a lot of his are step and half siblings so Mm -hmm. it's like really interesting but i think i got it figured out now (laughs) well that's good that's good so as you're going through high school you know no no spoiler alert here you joined the navy at some point um when did you decide that that was going to be what you wanted to do i was you know like i mentioned i was really into going out with friends and i was really centered around doing whatever friends, because as an only child, you really want to be accepted right. by friends and they hold a lot of, a lot more weight for you. Um, so I was very influenced by the wrong crowds and I became one of the wrong crowds and bad influences. And I was just, you know, I was really good at track. So I could have went to school or to college to 
run track, but I hated it because I put way too much pressure on myself again mm-hmm. to be the best. So I was starting to think of other options. And I went and stayed with my uncle down in Florida. And he was in the Navy. And he's like, Jenna, yeah, join the Navy. You're going to see the world. It's going to be great. (laughs) And that kind of stuck with me. So a year later, when I was drunk at a party, my friend was like, I'm joining the Navy. And I said, tell your recruiter to call me because I'm going to join with you. And like any recruiter, I got a call the next day. Oh, yeah. So that was it. There was like no big, deep thought process to it. Hey, I'm drunk. I'm going to join the Navy. <laughs> I swear I, I'm not, I don't really drink anymore, but it has shaped my life so much. And oh, yeah. I can, I, can, I can only imagine. Um, so being a rebellious teenager, um, is there anything you care to share, like something you got away with that you're sort of like, proud and surprised that you got away with it, that you didn't get caught? Oh, oh man, we were bad. We would, we would always be out in the woods and, um, sometimes the county would leave out equipment like giant, um, not bulldozers, but stuff to clear the trails with. Uh huh. And they would leave the keys in them under the sea. This sounds like their fault. <laughs> I know. And so we would be out there partying and then, you know, we would just drive back in the, these trails. I mean, they would go for miles and mm-hmm. miles, um, truck trails. And we, we stumbled upon one and we're like, let's go driving it. And we, w- we were just out in the woods knocking down trees and it was so much fun. But again, so dangerous <laughs> and kind of embarrassing that we right. did that. So if you if your kids did that today or you know when they're that age you'd probably get a little upset then. Right. And I <laughs> I think kids can't get away with stuff like that because they are there were cameras everywhere now and they track things by GPS. There's no way. <laughs> right. Which is which is good in a way, but I think it's kind of sad in a way because I mean the stuff we did when we were kids, yeah, some of it was probably dangerous, but no one got hurt <laughs> most, <laughs> right? of the time. most of the time. Yeah, I can think of a couple times where people got hurt. That, that was not a good thing, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it happens, but we didn't, you know, we didn't have, uh, at that time they, we didn't really have the internet or social media or any of that stuff. No one videoed anything on a phone. Right. I mean, our phones were connected to our houses and they had super long cords, at least when I was a kid. Yeah. There was, there was no evidence and, and mm-hmm. now, now kids get away. I was kind of, Facebook was just becoming really popular and, um, yeah, some kids would post stuff and get in trouble, I remember, because it was the, the time where you would post anything. Now I think people are smarter. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I and I hope they are. I mean, that's one of the cautions that I told all of my kids is whatever whatever electronic thing you post or send, it's forever. Mm-hmm. You might delete it, but somebody else might not. So just be careful about what you're doing yeah. uh, with your digital media. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like high school was... A pretty good time. Now, I grew up in the city, so we didn't we didn't steal earth movers and knock trees down. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. Maybe I'll maybe I'll head to Wisconsin this weekend and see what happens. But um, so uh, you uh, had a few drinks at a party. Uh, this recruiter calls you. What happens? I met him and just started talking about jobs. I wanted to do Intel really bad. Uh huh. And so I I signed up for a six year contract. It was the summer after I graduated high school, and I decided to go to a country music festival. It's called Hodag in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, 
and everyone's having fun. I was out with my friend's grandparents and we were, you know, enjoying country music. And then on the way home, I started walking and somebody offered me a drink. And so I was walking back to my campsite. We were all camping there as well. And I was walking back to my campsite with a drink and I walked right into a police officer. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yes. Another way alcohol has shaped my life. And he was, of course, an ex-Air Force. He was an Air Force veteran. And I was telling him, I'm about to leave in two weeks. Please, you know, don't right. write me this ticket. This is really going to mess everything up for me. And he was one of those hard asses. And he's like, I don't want someone like you in my military. <laughs> <laughs> someone that walks around with a drink. <laughs> right, right. And I was clearly, I was clearly drunk. Um, right. But I was... 18, I was about to leave for the military. I was just trying to have the best summer ever. Yeah. So I, I got in trouble and I ended up having a, having to pay, you know, a ticket. It wasn't that big of a deal, but I had to let my recruiter know for some reason. And he had to let someone else know. And they said, all right, you're not going to be Intel anymore. And yeah. he said, but I do have another job, which is aerographer's mate, which is weather. And I was like, I could do that. Yeah. You could be a weather lady, right? <laughs> exactly. And that's, you know, it's not like I got busted down to be an undesignated seaman having to clean the ship and paint all the time. So it, it worked out. Right, right. And for anyone looking to join the Navy today, um, if they offer you something like undesignated seaman, because that sounds really cool and it's only a two-year enlistment, don't do it. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. Unless unless you like chipping and painting and that sort of thing. And it's got to be done. But, uh, yeah, I, I met a lot of people who... We're not very happy once they got to the fleet um, because of that. Yes. Yeah. They were told they could go in and choose any rate they wanted. And really, <laughs> if you're on a carrier and you're undesignated, your only real option is probably going to be a OS, operations specialist. That's what most of them end up doing. So Yeah, exactly. So you're off to weather school then, but first basic training, right? Yeah. I went to boot camp, it was really easy for me. Uh, since I had drank my whole summer away, when I checked into boot camp, I was I was marked as vitamin D deficient, and <laughs> I, I had early onset osteoporosis. <laughs> That's how bad I was. Well, and, okay, Jenna. So I'm like, okay, there's partying, and then there is partying to the point where you damage your bones, and you're not even twenty yet. That's I. I'm, that's crazy. There's a reason I don't drink anymore. <laughs> it was. Yeah, and I don't think my parents realized like how bad of a problem it was, and it kind of continued throughout. Like I thought, Navy's going to shape me up, you know. People there, they care about their health, they care about fitness. I'm, I'm going to be with the right people. <laughs> I was so wrong. <laughs> but at least there was no drinking in basic training or boot camp, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> so you get there, vitamin D deficient and osteoporosis. And, but but you're in, I mean, great physical shape. You played all kinds of sports. Yeah, oh. but I needed to say that because I ended up gaining 25 pounds in boot camp yeah. because my body just clung to everything that it could get. And so I was, I walked out of there and my parents were like, wow. <laughs> You know, I look so chubby. It all went to my face. Uh -huh. And, you know, I was a little embarrassed because I looked awful. They cut my hair super short. I hadn't worn makeup. And I was so pale because it was um, it was in the winter. It was October. So we weren't outside at all. Right. And I was just like, nobody looked at me. I was seeing a guy at the time and he was from my hometown who also joined the Navy. He came out and he tried to kiss me. And I was like, <laughs> I just started laughing. <laughs> 
No. I was like, don't touch me. <laughs> I'm hideous. Yeah, yeah. He um he ended up breaking up with me later because I just, I couldn't. Right. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't want anyone to see me like this. And he probably thought I was like over him or something. I don't know. Um, well, we're kind of laughing about it. But truthfully, I mean, those things are, um, that impacts you. Like when you don't like how you look or you don't. Yes. Right. And that's a huge impact on a person. And so I don't want to, I don't want to brush that off because, um, you know, so many people like, I, I don't know, I grew up the fat kid in junior high school. I get it. Um, I can't imagine like being in total shape and then coming out of boot camp and, and never in my life did I ever heard somebody coming out of boot camp worse than when they went in, right? right? People gained weight, but it was because they put on muscle or whatever, but your body was just trying to figure things out. So, yeah. um, that's, that's, that had to be rough. Like we laugh about it now, but, that had to be a tough time for you. It was. It, psychologically, it really messed with me because I was, you know, I was prom queen. I was like really, I, well, I thought I was really pretty. I had pretty blonde hair. I always curled it. I was in good shape. And then I come out of boot camp and I'm like, I'm a monster. It's 100% opposite of what you thought was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I thought I would be. And again, I was the fastest person in my division, even the guys. Yeah. I, nobody could beat me in running. I was super, I could still run great, but my body just like, I don't know, just clung to everything. Uh-huh. Now, for those listening, because we, we only do audio, um, Jenna has fully recovered from boot camp. Yes. <laughs> great hair, great complexion. She looks great. Thank so, you. Um, so we'll just put that out there. So you... You graduate, you don't kiss your boyfriend, you eventually break up, which, I don't know, most high school romances kind of go that way yeah. anyway, so no big surprise. So what happens after after basic training? I went down to Keesler Air Force Base. I got to go to an Air Force Base. Wow, lucky you. Which is very <laughs> rare for Navy. I, I think maybe the corpsmen go to an Air Force Base, and that's about it. Uh-huh. And I was messaging my friends who went to Great Lakes, and they were sending me pictures of their... Um, barracks rooms and it was and i was like look at mine mine looks like a hotel room it's carpeted right so it was nice and they had a great dining facility it was um it was really nice when Mm -hmm. i first got there but you feel awkward because everyone's looking at you sizing you up navy you know that someone's new by the length of their hair so the longer their hair grows Uh the the longer you know they've been in so everyone's kind of just judging you a little bit, seeing how boot you are. Right. Which, which is funny. Cause I, you know, I served in two different branches of the military and, um, the Navy really uses that term a lot boot, you know, go sweep that up yeah. boot or go clean that up boot or whatever. Yeah. And, um, so did you have any experiences like, um, you know, when you first get out of basic training and, and you think, well, you probably didn't think, but, but like you think that, well, nobody can really tell, right. But you have this like one experience where, you're out doing something and someone in like out in town or in the civilian world, like calls you boot because they're in the military as well. Have you ever had one of those experiences like right after basic training? Not on myself, but I definitely seen other people do that. Uh And I I felt like I was really self-aware and I was also really self-conscious because of putting on the weight and how I look. So I didn't want anything to bring attention to. I threw away my shoes, anything from boot camp, Mm. and went out and bought new stuff. I went and Got my hair done. Like, I wanted to look fresh. (laughs) 
fresh right. as I could. But yes, I saw a lot of people do that, and I was secondhand embarrassed for that. Oh yeah. Well, there's always that person that wears their shiny chlorpharm shoes with their civilian clothes because they don't have any other shoes, right? Yes. <laughs> do not yes. be that person. <laughs> no. You do not want to be that person. <laughs> so you, you get to go to an Air Force base, which um, for anyone who's not served in the military, like the Air Force is the pinnacle of how they take care of people. Um, you know, the Navy does a great job. Um, the Army depends. Um, and the Marine Corps, I think they live in tents. So it's all yeah. good. But so you get to this base, you're you're noticing very quickly that there's like a hierarchy there and you're trying to fit yeah. in. Um, how did that? So you talked about when you were younger. Um, and an only child, you really tried to fit in with your friends because you didn't have any siblings. Mm -hmm. And so that was really important. How did that compare to going to this Air Force base right out of basic training um, and trying to fit in there? It carried over. You know, I was definitely still a people pleaser. Our, um, our barracks were split. So it was, there was a Marine side and then there was a Navy side. And so I was able to make friends within that and then also friends with some of the marine girls and then the marine guys were just on another level of girl crazy and they were just like anytime a new navy girl walked in they were just all over them yeah and you could see that pattern and i was just like trying not to be that person like like i'm like i know why they're talking to me and i don't want to but um i ended up getting a screenshot of two marines talking about me really graphically uh -huh. and they sent it to me so i'm aware but they didn't tell me who the person was so i was kind of under the impression that all these marines were like gross and they were like talking about me like they they needed i was a process they needed to work on and they wanted to get me in bed with them and so i was just really like that kind of alienated me because i didn't trust anyone I was already insecure about my body and then adding this on top of it. And I was a virgin when I graduated high school. Like I right. never had that sort of sexual attention from guys because I'm from a small town. Everyone I, I graduated with was like bro were brothers to me. They didn't they didn't see me like that at all. Right. You just were friends. Yes. Right. Yes. Which can lend itself to problems later on because not all guys are, are like that. Yeah. And um, I do, I do want to ask, is that the screenshot that you shared on your social media? Yes. So I read that and I was just, um, it took me back because um, I went to basic training in San Diego and then I went to my um, school in San Diego as well. And it was the same thing that we didn't have Marines. It was the same thing there though. Uh, a new female, cause there weren't, weren't a lot of female soldiers. And this is back in the eighties when I came in. Um, and a new female uh, sailor would show up and these guys were just, it was awful. Mm -hmm. And it took me back to that and how I felt, I felt bad for the women who were in the military that showed up to that sort of harassment, mm -hmm. mainly because it was like acceptable. It was acceptable right. to be that way. No one thought that that was not the right thing to do. And I don't know, I'm not a woman, I don't know how that would have made me feel, but there are some people who come from small towns who aren't smart, who don't think about these things, and who end up in really bad situations yeah. because of that attention that they never got mm -hmm. before. It doesn't sound like that's you. Um, but that yeah. that would have, that just seeing that screenshot really would have upset me. So I can't even imagine... Um, how that made you feel. So that happens like shortly after you get there. Mm -hmm. So then what? So, so then, you know, I finally start finding a group of friends and, you know, started 
drinking again because that's how I knew how to make friends. So I, we would get hotel rooms and just party and, you know, go to barracks rooms and all of that. And I ended up going to a barracks room, which I thought was a group of my friends. And I was, you know, I was, I drank way too much. I said, all right, I need a place to sleep. I'm not going to be able to drive home. So he, one of my friends was like, Hey, just go sleep in my bed. You know, you'll be safe. I'll sleep on the floor. And I trusted him because we were friends. And I also, I started dating someone at the time, um, like my first real boyfriend. And he was going to, he was, my phone broke that night. Right. So Uh I was going to have him come pick me up, but he couldn't at the time. So, I went to sleep and I woke up in the middle of the night with my friend on top of me, you know, touching me. And I just started screaming and I left the room. I I didn't know where to go. I was just kind of roaming. It wasn't my barracks room. It was on another base. So I didn't know where to go. And I just kind of, you know, like I... I Left. I waited till morning till I was able to drive and I drove back and my phone was broke. So my friend, the one that assaulted me, called the quarter deck because he wanted to get a hold of me. Uh-huh. And he was like, I'm so sorry. Like I was drinking. I would never do that if I was sober. And I believed him because that was my friend. And so I said, it's fine. You know, don't worry about it. I got, um, you know, I just kind of held that inside me for a long time. Yeah. And um, I wish I would have reported. I really wish I would have because he went on to um, actually assault one of my friends, Mm -hmm. even though I warned everyone about him. They still hung out with him. Well, so I'm going to ask a hard question for you. Um, Do you feel, and you shouldn't, like I don't think you should, but do you feel any sense of responsibility for what happened to your friend because you didn't turn him in? Yes, I, I feel I felt guilty when mm-hmm. she came and told me I felt awful. But now looking back, I, I look at all the reasons why I didn't report all of the chain of command that I would have reported to were right. also taking advantage of younger sailors, women. Would they have believed me? It was really my word against his. Right. And like I said, I, I believed him when he said it was a one-time thing. Like he did not mean to do that. I, I really did believe him. Mm-hmm. So yes, but now, no, like I, I've really, I've really processed it. I've been to therapy about <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I, I try to be careful when I ask questions like that just because I don't know if someone's been to therapy or not, but that had, I, I mean, that had to be terrifying. I mean, you, you were a virgin when you graduated and came in the military and, um, which by the way, like when you, at least in my experience, when you talk about partying in high school, that's a different experience for me that, um, the people that we partied with, um, it wasn't small town. We weren't necessarily friends. A lot of us dated. And so, um, that's, that's a different scenario where alcohol really, um, facilitated a lot of sexual activity, um, that probably should have never happened. Right. Uh, and everyone was consensual. No one got upset about it. But um, I think a lot of people regretted it later on, guys right. and girls alike. And mm-hmm. so I, I can't imagine how terrifying this is to to wake up thinking, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. And I, I grew up Catholic, so I was very religious. I always took yeah. that on as myself, even more than my parents did. <laughs> um, and so I was saving myself for marriage. And right. then I, I also, like I mentioned, I had a boyfriend at the time and I didn't want to tell him because I knew he would 
go he was a marine and he would probably go and try to kill this person that did it to me right so i i just kept it in until you know later i i shared with my girlfriends because our community is really small weather community and they're going to be stationed with him i told them what had happened and no no one really took me seriously right which, which hurt today hurt it still hurts today that nobody took it seriously and it made me feel like I shouldn't take it seriously. So mm-hmm. I never thought that was an issue until, you know, later on in my life, it was, it's, it like affected me a lot. Well, there's this culture of victim blaming mm-hmm. that, uh, while I think it's gotten better in the military, I think it's, um, it's probably not gone. No. I mean, you see it in society as well. Oh, you shouldn't have been at that party. You shouldn't have been drinking. You shouldn't have been wearing whatever you were wearing. Right. Uh, none of those things because anybody the right to do something that you don't want them to do. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Yeah. Um, so how did that impact your relationship with your boyfriend that this happened, but you didn't tell him, but you knew it happened? Let's take a quick break. Veterans Archives is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we rely on donations from our listeners. If you are enjoying these stories and would like to support our continued efforts, please go to www.veteransarchives.org and select the donate button. Thank you. Yes, it it just kind of like I was already awkward Mm -hmm. and it just kind of made me more awkward, but it also made me drink more to be less awkward around him and around my friends and and, you know, like any military relationship, I ended up getting stationed in Norfolk um, and he was still in Mississippi. So, like, we had a long distance relationship for the, the majority of the two years we dated. <laughs> uh-huh. So it, it was, you know, kind of me being emotionally unavailable. But also, you know, we were 19, 20. He was also very <laughs> immature and he was someone that went through a lot as mm-hmm. a um, a young man. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that, so you end up in Norfolk then, um, after, after your schooling and, uh, what was that like for when, when were you in Norfolk? What, what years were you there? I got there in 2014 and I was there until I got out of the Navy in 2017. So that's funny. Cause you were in Norfolk exactly 30 years after I was in Norfolk. Wow. I was there in, uh, 87 through, uh, almost 90. Okay. Okay. And you were on a carrier as well. Actually, no, I was on a destroyer. Oh, that's right. You were, you were there when, um, the new carrier came out. Yes. Yes. We actually did uh, the trials for the, um, was it the Ronald Reagan or one of the newer carriers, which probably wasn't even a newer carrier. It was probably an old carrier when you got there, but, uh, so you get to Norfolk, um, and you were on a carrier so what was that like for you arriving at Norfolk? I mean, remember what it was like for me to first get there. And that, that place is uh, amazing and terrifying all at the same time, I think. So what was it like for you? One of the cool things about being an AG is that we're not stationed on ships. So we're actually in, we're sea duty, but we get to go, they will, ships will call a team and say, hey, we need weather people on this team. So you get to go to a bunch of different ships. So at first I, I got to do training. I was on a, I was on the, the TR, the Teddy Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. So I got to go underway with them. And then the next time they needed someone, I got to go underway with an LHD, which was pretty cool. And that was the, was it the wasp? 
One of the, well, the Wasp is the oldest ship, and when I went underway on there, it actually just went dead in the water. So the Wasp was not an old ship when I was there. <laughs> I remember that ship. <laughs> well, I swear it had. It's, it's the first. It's LHD one. Yeah, the first yeah. one. Yeah, I was on. A, I was on a, a Vietnam era steam propelled destroyer. Wow. One of the last ones in the fleet. So when wow. you say it went dead in the water, I remember. I remember uh, doing underway replenishment and going dead in the water. And tearing the hoses and everything off the wall. It was crazy. But this isn't about me. This is about you. Um, so so <laughs> you, you go on the Wasp. You're really making me feel old, but it's one of the oldest ships now. And, uh, yeah. So what was it like, like, the first time getting haze green underway? It was intimidating because the first time was on a carrier. Again, mm-hmm. I I don't know anyone on the ship because I'm not ship's company. And I get thrown in a random berthing. And... You get territorial about your birthing. So yes. if someone's coming in, you're going to want to know why they're there and you're, you're not going to be nice to them. I mean, I was guilty of it too. Just like, well, okay, I wasn't guilty of that, but you're just like, what are they doing? Like, we don't have room for more people. So the, the, I didn't really talk to anyone, but luckily I was with one of my friends from my command. They sent two girls for that reason. You right. know, so we would feel comfortable and it, it was just cool. And it was fun to hang out in the office and the, for, Weather, we're on the O, we're on the O6, no. Yeah, we're on the O6, mm-hmm. so we are, we're on the island. Right. You have a window, you can see outside, and every hour you have to go outside and take a weather observation. So you, you just really get to watch all of the aircrafts, and it, it was it was really cool. I was like, wow, you know, like, this is why I joined the Navy, to be out here and do this. Well, and when you talk about birthing areas too, so I don't, what a lot of people I don't think know is that when they build ships, the birthing areas are kind of like an afterthought. We just need a place to stack people so they can sleep. Um, so it's not like a luxury apartment by any means. Uh, it's, it's like prison. Uh, the, the, at least that's how, what I, what it, what I remember it being. But, um, how cool to be out there doing what you're doing. And then because you were like a detachment, did they, like, they didn't really, they didn't really task you or mess with you guys then, did they? I mean, you just did your thing. So later on, when I went on deployment, I was on the Truman assigned mm-hmm. there. We were really integrated into the ship. Okay. And my chief was someone that made a point of that. Like, we're going to be on here. We we want to be like ship's company. So that was really cool because I got to be a part of a repair locker, which is where you go um, for, Is it, it's not battle stations. When they have the um, uh, emergency alarm. Yeah, what do we call that? Uh, I was just talking about it the other day. General quarters. General quarters. Yes, the general quarters alarm. Thank you. Yes, so general quarters. I I was at a repair locker, and I got to be on the fire team. Mm -hmm. So we would have to get out of our racks or wherever we were and go down and don the whole, uh, those Janesville suits and put on SCBA with the helmet. And I was the number one nozzleman. And the team leader is now my best friend. Her name's Angela Martinez. And that's how we bonded. (laughs) So when I was in, we had OBAs. Did they ever talk about those? No. So OBA, oxygen breathing apparatus. And it was basically like this harness that you put on. And there was this canister that you would put up inside of it. And it would generate oxygen. So you could oh, breathe. Okay. Yeah. Um, there was two things. One, if you put it in backwards and activated it, it would catch on fire and 
blow up, um, but it generated a lot of heat when it created oxygen. Okay. So it's that. interesting to, to see that we've kind of evolved from yeah. uh, from that. Now, I got to be honest, like you're one of, I think you're probably the only person who like smiles and genuinely looks happy that they were on one of these teams, <laughs> because usually <laughs> this is an extra duty that people just don't even really want to mess with. But you, I mean, I wish people could see your face because you're like all lit up about it. I was... I was doing it like we were doing damage control. We were firefighting, and it's yeah. so important on a ship because that ship catches on fire. That's your home, mm-hmm. and you're in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, they say every Marine's a rifleman, but every sailor is a firefighter. We are trained. Yes, <laughs> and I got to actually. We never had a fire, but you know, I I got to do those scenarios where. I would have been number one nozzleman right by the fire if if it was going to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And did they still have the, um, so I'm going to age myself again, but so when we when we did that, you had the, the nozzleman, you had people holding the hoses, and then you also had like this big, long um, pipe that went out, and then it would, it would like spray water in front of the nozzleman to keep the heat off them. Um, I can't remember that I mean, not position. Not that it's even important, but uh, yeah, that's what we used to have. Yeah, that. I mean that makes sense yeah. because it it was supposed to like when you did the simulation in boot camp. You know, it's really hot right there, so yeah, that probably needed. But yeah. I don't know where the other water would come from. Hmm. I don't know. So when you went to boot camp, I, I don't mean to jump around, but this reminds me. So when you went to boot camp, did they have the smokehouse still? Maybe. So the smokehouse and boot camp is it's this room. It looks like a, a mock of a, a mock up of a ship's um room. Uh and they throw they dump diesel fuel on wood and they just fill this thing up with smoke. And then you have to go in and put on your breathing apparatus and, and practice all of that. Yes. Yes. I remember I remember that. And that was the time where I'll a lot of people start falling asleep because it was so dark and you're up so late. It's yep. like the middle of the night. Yeah, I remember that. Lots of things in the military happen in the middle of the night, by the way. Yes. I think you arrive oh, yeah. at boot camp in the middle of the night usually, and then anytime yeah. they want to mess with you, it's the middle of the night. Yep. Um, what is that? Man overboard drills? Always the middle of the night. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so do you have a greater appreciation for like a good night's sleep? I do. I, I practice great sleep hygiene now. Uh-huh. I never want to be on that because I worked nights a lot on the ship and my chief was like, I need to hide you. You're too social and you're, you're talking to everyone during the day. And, and then I would have weirdos that would come up to the office and like try to talk to me in that. So like they started putting me on nights for like, we're going to hide you. <laughs> so, but I liked nights cause it was slower pace and mm-hmm. you could, um, just hang out. But the meal was horrible. Mid rats. Oh my God. It was always horrible in the middle of the night. So I became friends with a lot of culinary specialists the oh, cooks, yes. and they would, they would hook me up. There are certain people you want to be friends with. I remember one night mid rats was a, a piece of toast with peanut butter or jelly. Like we had, I don't destroy you run out of food all the time. And, oh, and bet. so, yeah, so it was, it was pretty, pretty awful. I remember those days. Um, and, and there's nothing like, being outside on a ship at like two o'clock in the morning when the moon is out. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'll even watch a movie now and see that. And it brings me right back to what that feels like. Yeah. yeah. So do you kind of miss like there's some things that I miss about the Navy. That's one of them. I swear that's the only reason I would go on a cruise now is to just go out there at night and uh-huh. to see all the stars and the quietness or maybe just the hum of the ship. 
and there'd always be someone on watch too. Right. One of the um, boatswain's mates. So we would talk, and those conversations are some of the best I've ever had because you can't see them. So especially when it's pitch black, you just see the stars, and you feel like you could open up to anyone. And I think that's where I, some of my passion started for interviewing people is just uh-huh. probably interviewing boatswain's mates and hearing some crazy stories. Oh yeah. Well, did you I, and did you find that you like had this quieter voice when you're having those conversations? Yeah. Like to me, those conversations were always like, I don't know, like NPR conversations. Yeah. Very, very quiet, very um, just in confidence. You know, you knew that they wouldn't tell anyone, mm-hmm. or if they did, who were they going to tell? You know, it was right. just such a an open dialogue. It was nice. Yeah. And that's kind of cool that that gave you your passion for, for interviewing and, and talking to people. There's some value in um, listening. I don't know that we do enough of that today. Yes, yes, absolutely. I don't think we give ourselves the space for it because there's so many distractions, you know? Yeah. My my grandmother used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Right. right. <laughs> to right. listen to people mm-hmm. and then to talk. Um, so is there anything, like when you, so were you, when you were in the fleet and doing that, is there anything that really sticks out in your mind that you'd like to share with people now? Like, is there one memory that you have that's like this memory, good or bad, um, that just sticks with you now that maybe shapes shaped who you are today. Oh, um, I'm trying to think. So I would have, yeah, I think I really found my passion for, uh, public policy, which is what I went for, but really like foreign affairs Mm -hmm. and just, just learning my passion for learning. I'll say that and learning about the world and different cultures, because I signed up for as many subscriptions (laughs) as I could before I I went on deployment. And Uh so I had like time magazine, I would read every single article and I would just learn so much. And then I also had access to Cipranet, which is secret internet. And I would just be reading all the articles, anything that was going on in the world. And then I was able to talk to people from so many different backgrounds, some people that weren't even from the U.S. They joined to become citizens and just learning how they grew up. And I just became so fascinated with with really people and situations around the globe. Yeah, I I can see that. And um, oh, I had a question around the tip of my tongue, too. Um, Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you is that so we talked about you visited your uncle in Florida, and what stuck in your mind was join the Navy, see the world. So you got, you really got to do that. Like it wasn't yeah. just a slogan. You actually did it. Yes, I did. I did. And, and on that deployment, we went to Croatia mm-hmm. and I went on the tours and you get, so you get a cultural brief before you go into every country. So right. you know how to act. And one of the things they told us was don't ask about Yugoslavia, like the former Yugoslavia. Don't ask about that stuff. And I went and asked the tour guide about it. Yeah, who are you not to, right? <laughs> right. And um, well, she kind of brought it up because she was saying these apartments are all vacant. They were. She was showing us around the town. We were on a bus tour, which we could drink on. So that that got my tongue a little <laughs> loose <bonus>. too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I could tell there was a little angst there. So I was like, so why are they vacant now? And she's like, well, when we were under uh, Yugoslavia, they had a, they had apartments that were for free for everyone. And so everyone was able to live in them. And now that Croatia government, you know, you could just sense that tension and that, that uh-huh. change. And even though it was probably 20 years ago since that happened, you could just see the aftermath. And I was like, that's so interesting. Yeah, People don't forget, especially those sorts of yeah. situations. 
So I want to ask you about this too. So you're drinking on the bus and asking questions you were told not to. At what point, at what point did you like say, I'm not drinking anymore? Oh, <laughs> because, because we've, we've kind of talked around it and yeah. um, I don't know if I'm jumping way ahead or not, but like what, what <laughs> happened that you said, I'm not going to drink anymore. Honestly, um, I'm 80 days sober today without alcohol. Congratulations. Um, so it's pretty new and I'm still kind of figuring it out. I haven't really came out about it, but to uh-huh. anyone besides um, my husband and a few close friends. And really, I, it's just, I'm kind of looking at a different, like, what benefit is it? But it was kind of just, um, there wasn't like one big moment. It was just like, I think to get to the next level of where I want to be in life, I need to let that go. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Somebody, some people have a big epiphany, and for others, it's just a lot of small things that, that stack up that go, yep. I don't need to do this anymore. I mean, I don't drink. Um, but yeah, there was no no culminating event that said that you're not going to drink anymore. Other than I think you promised God so many times while you're throwing up. I'll that never he, drink again. Yeah. If he doesn't kill you this time, you'll never yep. touch another drop until the next time. And so right. I think at some point he takes you up on that, and I didn't want to test him. Yeah, 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 definitely. It was just kind of, you know, and and also a health thing, really. Right. I've cut out a lot of things from my diet, and alcohol was always the the excuse. You know, that, that's that's good for you to have a glass of wine or something. <laughs> we tell ourselves that, and uh, and then really looking at it and learning more about it, I'm like, no, it's not. You don't need it. No, and I have found that, um, you know, a lot of social events, a lot of things that you do when you're here in D.C., revolve around drinking mm-hmm. but you know what no one cares that i don't drink like that's not even a problem yeah and i thought it would be you I don't think know you're gonna you're... stick out but really no no one cares i get a cranberry and club soda with a lime on it no one knows the difference no and when people ask me what i'm drinking that's what i'm drinking if you want to buy me one great it'll yeah. cost you nothing because I, i'm your designated driver so yeah. they'll give it to you for free but mm-hmm. i always had that fear that somehow that would that would interrupt my social life Yes. Oh, I had the same fear. Mm -hmm. And also, maybe you feel like this too. It was a confidence thing for me. Like I'm not good enough unless I'm a little loose. And then um, so many things I realized that I do while I'm drinking, I still do sober. Like I would get embarrassed for oversharing. And then I realized you still overshare. You just like to talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Which is good if you're an interviewer, right? (laughs) Right, right. right. Yeah. So, So, yeah. Well, I want to jump back to, to the Navy. So if you notice, I do jump around a lot, but I, I um, like to kind of figure out where things landed. So you, um, it sounds like you had a great time in the fleet. Now, did you do a shore rotation or did you get out or how did all that work for you? Nope. So that deployment was really my contemplation. It was the year before I got out. So I kept going back and forth. And, you know, you have chief and first class in your ear saying, do it. The Navy needs you. And then you know, you're just like, I'm not passionate about weather. You know, I found my passion on deployment. I love learning about people and cultures and I want to study politics. And so I just kept going back and forth. And so that summer or the last stop on deployment, we went to Greece and it was uh, one of my friend's birthdays and we were at a villa and we had a party for her and it was really loud inside. And I was like, I just need a breather. So I went outside and there was this guy by himself um, 
playing music on an old iPod. And I was like, oh, could I pick a song? You know, just making small talk. And I started going through his iPod and he had really good music, like oldies. And I was like, wow, you know, like these are okay, some... I want to stop you for a minute. What do you consider an oldie? <laughs> um, so... Well, finish the story because I love it. But I want to know what you consider an oldie right now. <laughs> right. So like I mentioned, my parents are 40 years older. Right. They didn't play anything past... 85. Like my dad would not listen to anything new. So okay. anything from the 60s, 70s, I grew up listening to right. CCR, the Beatles, the Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, Pink Floyd, like all that was, yeah. Okay. We can continue the conversation then. <laughs> so I was going through, I was like, you have amazing music. Like I would marry you right now. I literally said that to him. Again, I was probably having a few drinks and I just, we started talking and that, and then, um, Next thing we know, everyone inside is calling us and saying, the cabs are here. We're going to go to the clubs. So we went to the clubs and I started, we were dancing. He was dancing with me and my friend. We were all sweaty. So we're like, let's go outside. Let's go to a quieter bar. I uh, went downstairs to another bar and we walk in. It was me and my friend and we were wearing matching outfits. <laughs> oh, no. Like, we had these big skirts on, but different colors and, you know, like tank tops. We were looking cute, sk- tan skin. And we walk in and, you know, he's got both of us and there's a British football team at the bar, like all lined up and they start whistling at us girls. Uh-huh. And... <laughs> Uh, my now husband was not going to handle that. And he said, you don't whistle at women. You respect them. Bam. They oh. knocked him out. Oh, no. <laughs> they all jumped on him. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> he had two black eyes, a bloody lip. And we went outside to get help. And we were just calling anyone. You know, other sailors were like, come help. And they they broke up the fight, pulled him out. I just remember him being on the street looking like this. He said, let me go. I'm going out <laughs> And they said, no, we got to hide you because... In the Navy, there's shore patrol, and right. there's people dressed in civilian attire that are out looking for people that are fighting, and they will bring you back to the ship, and you will get captain's mask. So they were like, no, we got to hide you. So they they took him back to uh, their hotel or wherever they were staying, and I never saw him again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so he took a beating for you, and then you didn't see him again. <laughs> He claims, because we had about a month left, so we went back on the ship, he claims that I looked right at him on the mess decks while everyone was eating. He said I looked right at him and just kept walking. And he said he felt like he looked that pathetic still that I wouldn't talk to him. Oh, no. Kind of how you felt after basic training, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, we got home in July. You know, I never, I never, I knew of him, you know, like I knew some of his friends, but in January, so like almost seven months later, we I'm at a going away party and it happens to be at his house. He lived with five guys and um, he was there, of course, and we met back up and we've been together ever since. That's a great story. <laughs> right? That's a great story. You could probably, uh, you could probably edit that and tell your kids a little bit about it, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever told the kids how we met and... Yeah, and it was it was good timing. I think because during that time he was actually going through a divorce. He had married his high school sweetheart, mm-hmm. and maybe you'll talk about this if you interview him. But he's got that whole story. And so during that those seven months, you know, he kind of worked everything out and figured things out. So it, it was meant to be. God knew that we weren't meant to be right then and there. <laughs> right. You know, he had to go through his whole thing, and then yeah. 
He was ready. Yeah, I love the, uh, you've got great music, I would marry you right now. I, yes, I told that's him. That's pretty awesome. The day I met him, I would marry him. And yeah. I did. Well, he held you to your promise. Yeah, yeah, really. So uh, what did what did your husband do? And is he, he's, is he still in the Navy or he's gotten out since? Yep, he got out. I made him get out because I'm like, I'm not going to, if you're going back on a ship, I'm not going to be here with kids right. <laughs> by myself. I know I've seen <laughs> so many you. spouses do that. And I was like, I'm not going to live that life. So you're getting out. <laughs> and he was ordinance. He was an AO okay. and he ended up getting out and finding a job. That needed the, that skill set right away, which worked out good. Well, that's great. And you guys ended up in uh, Maryland, right? Yes, yeah. So that's another yeah, how reason. Do, how do we get there? <laughs> that's how. So as you know, I started dating him in January. We were, you know, inseparable. And I took him back to Wisconsin one week. We both had two weeks off. And, uh, you know, he met my family and everything. We stopped at my aunt's house, my Aunt Cassie's house, how uh-huh. I know you through. Yes. And so he met, like, we did a tour of, you know, we went to Chicago, saw my godmother, went to Milwaukee, saw some of my cousins, went up to the UP, saw my parents, came back down through my Aunt Cassie's house. Like, he, he got the tour of, like, my family, and everyone was like, they loved him, mm-hmm. and he loved everyone. So I was just like, yeah, it feels right. And we ended up moving in. That next summer, you know, once I got out, I moved up to Maryland with oh, him. Okay. Yeah, it's funny you call her Aunt Cassie because I always just know her as Kathy. Yeah. I had no idea. I'm going to start calling her that when I see her now. It's funny because, yeah, like my dad, all her siblings call her Cassie, but um, her husband and, you know, professionally, she's Kathy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I worked with her for, for quite a while. Yes. Yeah. And I never knew people called her Cassie. <laughs> yeah. She's always just been Kathy to me. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. But now I know so I get a little inside information that I won't share with anybody. But when I talk to her, I'll call her Cassie. For sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you uh, you move in together in uh, you're in Maryland and uh, when did you get married? So when I got out, I was really struggling, you know, because he was still in, and I I really had an identity crisis. And um, on top of that, what was it like? Four weeks after I got out, I, well, I started going to college right away, and then mm-hmm. four weeks. I found out I was pregnant. Oh. So, you know, um, I was going through this identity crisis of not being in the military. I'm now pregnant, which coming from a Catholic family, I'm not married. Right. I was super embarrassed about that. And now I, I never had to be. Nobody made me feel that way. It was really self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. And now I couldn't drink, which was my way of making friends. So I just isolated, and I know a lot of veterans do that. I shut down all my social medias. I didn't talk to anyone. I really just focused on school for about a year until uh, my daughter was born. But, yeah, it was a really dark, dark time. Oh, yeah. Well, in, in for again, for people who um, never served in the military, and you, know, you can't paint everybody with a broad brush, but for a lot of veterans, um, you don't realize how much of your identity is wrapped up in, in your time in the military, whether it's two years or 10 years or, mm-hmm. in my case, 21 years, until you're done. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's like, who am I? Like, yeah. I put this uniform on every day. I knew where to go every day. I, If I got married, I got more money. I mean, it's all these things that the military mm-hmm. does. And then when you leave, you're done. Like, there's yeah. no easing into it. 
And then I can't, I mean, I grew up in a Catholic family, so I get Catholic guilt as well. Oh, yeah, it's the worst. Yeah, yeah, so you have all that stuff going on. I mean, how in the world did you survive a year of just not, because you're a social person, I can tell. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you do that? I mean, you say it's dark, but, but my gosh. I know, and I, I don't remember a lot of that year. You know, I, I really was focusing on being healthy um, with my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So I really invested things in, in my health and just just school. I, I really studied. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was good at something, like good at school. Like, I understand this, and I'm, try- I'm putting everything. So I really just was in the gym and school. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then when my daughter was born, she was very colicky. She was a very tough baby. So I was, I really had postpartum depression and that it just made everything worse. So you, you were really talking like two years of <laughs> almost like a nightmare life for yes. you. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was really hard. Uh-huh. And you know, I'm in Maryland, my family's in Wisconsin, his family's in New Jersey. We were in a really small house. No one could stay with us. Well, my mom would come stay and sleep in my stepdaughter's tiny little bed <laughs> right? or she'd sleep on the couch. So I, I just needed a break because I wasn't sleeping. I, I couldn't sleep because I was, I was like, she's going to wake up in an hour. Why should I go to sleep? So right. I was in, I wasn't sleeping. And then when college starts, she was born in June and then college started in August. And so I had like that little break, but then, you know, I was throwing myself back in school and uh, it was really exhausting. Well, well, not sleeping will make you crazy. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's not the right word to use, but it, it will definitely mess with you. Yeah. And that's why I just value sleep so much. Now. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I can imagine. But. So what did you study in school? I studied public policy. So it's a mix okay. of economics and political science. Mm-hmm. And in that, I loved it so much. So during that that first year back in school with my with my daughter now, I found a program. It was called the Washington Program, mm-hmm. and I could go do an internship on Capitol Hill. I was like, I want to do that. Something, you know, that was my little light in all the darkness. And I was oh, like, yeah. I'm going to apply. And I applied the night before the applications were due. And, you know, they accepted everyone except for me. They had to do an interview with me before I they accepted me, which I thought was weird. But... They, when I talked to them and I ended up getting, getting it. And so I just needed to figure out where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to the professor and he's like, so what, what are you passionate about? Like, what would you want to make a difference in on the Hill? And I was like, I don't know, you know, like I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. I don't really care about that stuff. I'm, I'm just like this. And he's like, well, you're a veteran, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, why don't you try to go work for a veteran Senator or Congressman or woman? It's like, Oh, I didn't even know the options. I don't think I even knew the structure of like the difference between Senate and Congress at the time. I was just like, I want to go to Capitol Hill. (laughs) It just sounds cool. Yeah. So I started applying and I ended up getting a internship at the House Committee on Veterans Affairs. Mm -hmm. And that was through the summer. That was really rough on my family because I would leave at 630, drop off my daughter at daycare and then catch the commuter bus at... 755 to be at work up here at mm-hmm. nine and I wouldn't get home till eight o'clock. So my husband was having to do pick up from daycare, make dinner, do bath, bedtime, you know, put a lot of pressure on him. And that's when I was, I can't work up here, but I learned so much through that internship. 
Oh yeah. I mean, that's what a great, what a great way to learn about all those things you didn't know about. Yeah. I know how it's structured now. (laughs) Like you totally get it when you're watching the news, like, Oh, I know what's going on here. Yep, I found out that the committee was just not a round table that everyone got together and talked about ideas. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what I had pictured wow. in my mind. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have a chance to talk to them and tell them how I feel as a veteran, especially in school. They're going to listen to me. <laughs> no, that's really not how it works, right? <laughs> so you have two children then. Yes. You, so how old's your stepdaughter? She's nine. She okay. just turned nine. And then um, I have a daughter who's five and then another daughter who's two. Okay. Yeah. It's a busy house. Yes. And they're, they're spaced out just enough that you'll have kids that are all teenagers at the same time at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I was like, <laughs> we might have a break between when they're in college to pay for college. <laughs> right. <laughs> But yeah, so they're they're about they're all three and a half years apart. Yeah, yeah. So what's a typical day in your household right now? Wake up, get them ready for school. My husband is such a big help. He packs the lunches. He has their coats out. He has their little shoes at the door. He's amazing because he gets up super early and will either go to the gym or he'll work out in the basement and. You know, get them to school. It's just such a rush. Even this morning, I kept forgetting things. You know, I got up early so I could, you know, usually I'm just wearing sweats to drop off. <laughs> right. And, um, yeah, I get home. For me, I work from home, so I, it's pretty flexible for me to do mm-hmm. a lot of my, my veteran stuff and also, you know, get my work done. I'm a Navy civilian. And, yeah, I go pick the kids up and come home. My husband always cooks. I do dishes or bath time. Yeah, yeah it's all team. Yes, right? it is. It, that's the only way it works, especially with three kids. <laughs> yes, yes. And we don't have my stepdaughter all the time. Mm-hmm. But when we do have her, she's actually a huge help because yeah. she wrangles them up. She's a little mom herself. And I, I love when she's there because she's... She's great with them, and she teaches them so many things. Well, and that's great to hear that that's the, that you, everyone's kind of integrated. That it's not yeah, it's not a a, a hassle or a headache. Because a lot of times in blended families, that becomes a an issue yeah. with stepchildren and children of the marriage and all this. But it doesn't sound like that's even a problem. At your, at your and house. my my husband knows that firsthand because he's a step-sibling he's a half-sibling so he knows all of that and he just makes sure that that won't happen yeah. with Blake well good yes <laughs> good so it's I mean just kind of thinking about all that you've been through and all that you've done um, I want to talk a little bit about um, what you do for veterans so I know that you have vet chat uh, podcast I know that you produce a workbook um, and you're a great veterans advocate can we talk a little bit about like how that started and what you're doing with that? Yeah. So after I did that internship, um, you know, COVID hit and I was out of college looking for jobs. And, you know, I was really inspired through that internship to reach out to younger veterans because we're not represented at all in Congress, especially, you know, anyone under 35. And those are the most vulnerable because 18 to 35 has the highest suicide rate for veterans. They're the most vulnerable. They need help. We need to bring them into that community. Mm -hmm. And if their experience was anything like mine, I'm a woman. I only did four years. I didn't feel like I was a veteran. 
So I just wanted to start having those conversations and bringing people into the amazing veteran community <laughs> and all the resources we have. We can talk about benefits, anything. So I just made a Facebook group and started adding my friends and then they added their friends and people would join and share what they're up to. And I started asking people if I could, they would want to go live with me on Instagram and just talk about it and kind of showcase the great stuff they're doing. Yeah. And so um, how many uh, how many followers on your Facebook page now? Or do you not even The Facebook it? group, it's a close group, so we have about 2,000. Okay. And, um, you know, most of my traction is through Instagram, mm-hmm. where I'm now at 30,000 followers, which is crazy. <laughs> so with 30,000 followers, right, you get to, you can put links in your, right in your um, description, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which you is can, very helpful. You can have links. You know, I, I get people from all over reaching out a lot of people that are still in and mm-hmm. they're worried about the transition out. And I'm just sharing, you know, real stuff, you know, it's, it is going to be hard. You're going to go through this, this, and this, and this is all when I realize everything we go through, I watched, I went through it. My, I watched my husband go through it and I was like, wow, it's really not a me thing. We all kind of go <laughs> through it. Yeah. So I just started writing down um, particular things such as identity crisis, kind of unnumbing, uh, needing to reflect on your service, things like that. And I just put it all together in a, in a journal style workbook. Yeah. So a couple of things, if, uh, if um, someone wants to find you, uh, on Facebook or Instagram, how are they going to do that? At the Millennial Veteran, and Millennial has two L's and two N's because I misspell it all the time. <laughs> thank you, because thank God for word uh, spell check. Yes, yeah, so at the Millennial Veteran on Instagram is the best place, and mm-hmm. I have a link in my bio, and you can find the podcast, you can find the workbook link, um, and all other sorts of resources, the Facebook group. And I really recommend um, folks who, uh, if you are a veteran or you know a veteran or you work with veterans, um, check out the workbook, go to the Instagram, go to the the Facebook page, um, check all of those things out because that's a great, it's a great resource. Uh, Maybe if it's not for you, it could be for somebody that you know. You know, the other thing is you, um, you talked about veterans not knowing they're veterans. Uh, and having been a veterans program manager for a major corporation, um, there are so many veterans who don't realize that. And one of the things that we started doing was changing our language, right? I asked people if they served, mm. right? Because if you, to me, if you served, you're a veteran. But there's this kind of stigma, well, I wasn't in combat or I didn't retire yeah. or I only spent a couple of years. I'm not really a veteran. Well, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we respect that. But sometimes we have to ask, did you serve? And we'll get this whole other group of people we didn't know existed that will come forward and say, yeah, I served. And then you can uh, talk about the veterans. So I don't know if you've uh, tried any of that, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Especially women veterans, because we're so, you know, I'm cautious about sh- sharing, you know, I'm, I'm a proud veteran myself, but when you share it with groups of people, sometimes you always get the look down. <laughs> yeah. I always yeah. do. And no matter yeah. who asks me and they're always surprised. And then I get the look, look, <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's funny you say that because I, so I served with, uh, with Mary Schwartz. Um, she was one of my soldiers when I deployed to Iraq and Mary is not very tall and she's not, she's just a very petite person, 
but she was a, a saw gunner. Like, she carried this big machine gun around. Wow. And she was, for lack of a better way to say it, she was just badass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when we got back, I didn't see her again until just a couple of years ago. So we didn't see her for like 15 years. But she's a school teacher in Missouri. And um, her, a lot of her students don't know that she was in the military. Um, but every once in a while, she'll bring in pictures. She runs the ROTC program there. Um, but they get this whole different view of her because she's quiet. She's super mm-hmm. nice. Like you would, you would know that you would never know that she'd served in combat, um, but she had. Uh, and so I think a lot of women, there's like a stigma out there. Like I, I know that that I have watched this happen. That there will be uh, a married couple, and the husband's never served in the military in his life, and the wife is the veteran. And when they're at a veterans event, people immediately go to the man. Mm, and they will yeah. ignore the wife, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I see that over and over again, which should change at some point because there's a lot more women serving in the military now. Yes, yeah, yeah. And there's going to be a lot more women veterans yes. that are coming up too. So, And you women out there who have served, you are veterans, own that, you know? Yeah. Take charge of that. Mm-hmm. And so do people give you the once over. You know, <laughs> I know I laugh at it now, but at first I was like, what did they think I did? Especially when I walked into the first day of my liberal arts college and said, yeah, I just got out of the Navy. And I swear everyone looked at me like I had just <laughs> waved a Trump flag or something. You had <laughs> a third crazy. eye, a second head, <laughs> yes. all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great talking with you and getting to know you. And I know that um, folks listening to this now and in the future will get something from our conversation. Um, I hope the veterans do reach out to you or veterans advocates reach out to you because I think you can really uh, be helpful to them. Before we go, though, I, I ask everyone this question and I preface it with, you know, 100 years from now, uh, when, when I'm not here and possibly you're not here, uh, and someone gets this story and listens to it, what would you like them to take away? I would like them to really view my story, especially when we talked about the sexual harassment and assault. I hope they view that as so outdated and such a thing of the past. That would be the best circumstance. But I, I hope they take away that, um, you know, you, you're going to learn so many good things in the military, so many lessons, and you're going to also have some hardships. And it's okay to feel, have mixed feelings about your service. You can appreciate the great things you learn, but also um, want to change the bad things that happen. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate you being here, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Veterans Archives, the podcast that brings you the story of the men and women who have created and lived our military history. If you or someone you know served in the military and would like to share your story with Veterans Archives, please go to www.veteransarchives.org, select the Apply Now button, and fill out our application and someone will get right back with you. Veterans Archives is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we rely on the donations of our listeners. If you are enjoying these stories and you support our efforts, please go to www.veteransarchives.org and select the Donate button. Any donation is certainly appreciated. Look for Veterans Archives on your favorite social media. We are on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for Veterans Archives. 
like, follow, and share our page. We'd certainly appreciate it. If you or someone you know is a veteran and you are struggling with mental health issues, please dial 988 and select option one for the Veterans Crisis Hotline. Please be sure to tune in next time for the next episode of Veterans Archives.